Parsha Sacharemos. In Parsha Sacharemos, we come to the special subject of the Sa'ir Lazazel, the unique goat offering of Yom Kippur. Anybody who learns Mesech the Yuma knows that this Sa'ir is a very important part of the Yom Kippur Avoidah. Even if you'll just read the Chumash or the Machzer, you can sense the magnitude of the momentous occasion when the Sa'ir Lazazel was offered. And yet, as important as it is, the truth is that we know very little about its significance. It's a very unusual kapara, this sa'ir. It's kodshim, but its procedure is unlike all other kodshim. It's a goat, one of the animals that is typically brought as a korban. Yet nothing else about it is typical. The primary avoider of the sa'ir doesn't even take place in the base amigdash. Instead, it is taken far away from Yerushalayim to the desolate mountains of Hare Yehuda. And the procedure that takes place there doesn't appear to be that of a korban altogether. What we do with the goat once it arrives in the wilderness is very strange. All the other offerings that we bring, we slaughter, we slaughter it at the neck. That's shechita. And then we put the blood on the mizbeach. And, the, in the, and in most cases, you burn up the fat and sometimes the limbs on the Mizbeach as well. But the Sa'ila Azazel, you don't slaughter it and you don't sprinkle any blood. And nothing at all is offered up on the Mizbeach to Hashem. All you do is lead the Sa'ir to a precipice, too high, to a high cliff, and you give it a shove. You push it over the edge and watch it roll down the rocky mountainside. Crashing against the rocks. By the time it reaches the bottom, it smashes to little pieces. That's how we bring this offering to Hashem. It's a remarkable thing. And yet, yet this goat, that doesn't seem to be a korban at all, it has none of the characteristics of a korban, and yet it achieves what no other korban can achieve. It's so potent that it has the power to be mechaper, to atone even for people who sin bemazed intentionally. You know, all the offerings that bring atonement, they can only atone for sins that are committed unwittingly, b'shoigeg. It's an axiom, a korban that, not, that cannot atone for a sin done bemazed. But the sa'ir la'azazel is the one exception to this rule. And what's more... The Sa'ir Lazazel brings you atonement even if you didn't do Teshuvah. It's unbelievable. No korban is Bechaper unless a person does Teshuvah beforehand. It's a remarkable thing that you're hearing now. A man sins bemazed. He shaves his beard with a razor, let's say, and he doesn't do Teshuvah. He's not even Mahar Herbert Teshuvah. And now just because a goat is thrown off a cliff, this sinner becomes purified. He's a clean man now. The Rambam says that in Hilchus Teshuvah, it's remarkable. It's the one exception in the Torah where such a thing is found. Now it's true. It won't be mechaper for everything. Chayve krisis. It won't be mechaper for. But it's mechaper on all Isin and Levin and Lavin. And a lot of, of and a lot of Averis. And so something like this, a Korban that is so different from all other Kabonas, needs a good explanation. Now I'm not capable of explaining Hashem's reasons, but when we study the Sayyir Lazazel, we keep in mind the words of the Rambam. These ceremonies are a symbolic nature. They are intended to teach certain ideas and to induce men to repent. And we understand that some of the lessons are so self-evident that we are expected to study them well. Because even though the Sa'ir can bring atonement without any teshuva, the Rambam tells us that the ceremony itself, that means studying the procedure and understanding it, is expected to create for us a new mind, new attitudes and ideals that should stimulate a person to return to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The first thing we ask is, what's so special about this goat that it brings such a kapara? And for the, and for the answer to that question, we turn to a medrash that says as follows, who is this goat, this sa'ir, that is being led out to the mountain? 
It's Esav. Now that's a cryptic, a cryptic statement. Esav is a goat. What does that mean? So we think back to our days in the Cheder when we learned Chumash and we remind ourselves that we once had an uncle Esav who was compared to a Sa'ir. You remember when Esav was born, it said about him, and the first one came out covered all over, Kadera Sa'ir, like a hairy coat. He was exceptionally hairy, and he was well known for that. My brother Esav is a hairy man, said Yaakov. Sa'ir means hair, and Sa'ir is a goat, because the goat is a very hairy animal. And Har Sa'ir is the land where Esav, the hairy man, dwelled. And so, when we lead the Sa'ir Lazazel out to the desert, we understand now that it's Esav we are talking about. And when we get to the Tzuk, to that precipice where the Kapara takes place, it's Esav we are pushing off the high cliff. That's it. That's the whole ceremony. We throw Esav off a cliff and we have a Kapara. It's a remarkable concept that throwing the goat of Esav off a mountain cliff should bring such a powerful atonement for the Am Yisrael. So to better understand what's happening here, we note that the Sa'ir Azazel, the goat of Esav, doesn't just go out the wild, just doesn't just go out to the wilderness unencumbered, and the goat carries something out to the desert. When we push the Sa'ir off the cliff with him, goes tumbling down a heavy load. And what is that load that goes off over the cliff with Esav? And the Medrash says, and the Medrash says, Esav carries away on his back the word Avonosam, Avonotam. The word Avonosam, their sins, should be read Avonosam. The Averus of the Ishtam. That's Yaakov. On the back of Esav, we load all of our sins even since Bemezid, and we lead them away to a high rocky cliff. And so how is this extraordinary atonement accomplished? By blaming Esav. We put the blame for our, for our Averos onto Esav, and we push the goat, and along with it our sins off of a mountain. Esav and his load of our Averos roll down the mountainside, smashing to pieces, and we are left clean and purified. Now we wouldn't be wrong if we were asked the question, is that fair? Why should Esav be blamed to suffer for the sins of Yaakov? And that's a big question. At least, I think it's a big question. What is, why is it, what is it Esav's fault that the Am Yisrael has sinned during the year? We throw Esav off a cliff and our sins go down with him? Where is the Yosher here? And the answer is, it's all Yasher. Because if you want to know the reason for almost all of the sins of Yaakov, it's only because there's an Esav around. Now, I don't mean to blame only our uncle Esav. He's a marshal for the Goyim, for all the nations of the world. It's the Goyim who bear the responsibility for all those Jews who were misled by their false ideas. The shortcomings and the imperfections of the Am Yisrael are almost, almost always traced back to the Umas HaOilam. You know, it was only 70 years ago, 1905, that in the small towns and even in the big towns, most Jews put on tefillin. Most of them kept Shabbos, ate kosher, and learned Torah every day. The Jews once kept everything. And what happened? You think all of a sudden they just threw away everything? The answer is that it's not the fault of the Jews. They are victims of Esav. In Krakow, 350 years ago, to go without your head covered in the street, you had to be a hero, a real gibor. That's how it used to be in those days. You needed very little bechira to resist the blandishments of the goyim. So let's say the satan would come over to you in Krakow and say, take off your hat. So you'd put up a big fight because to walk bareheaded in Krakow meant that you were liable to get a broken head. To be a Jew meant you had to act like a Jew. There were no two ways about it. The whole atmosphere of a Jewish community was different when the influence of Esav was kept far away. Krakow was a town where children in the street babbled divrei toida. It's not what I say. 
Greitz, the Sony Hatoyda said it. A fact, a verifiable truth like that, even the enemy of Toyota couldn't dispute. He said that children babbled Divrei Toyota in the street. Women, when they spoke, they spoke Gomorrah language because that was the language of the people. Every third word in Yiddish is a Gomorrah word. And that's because when the people weren't busy with Gentile ideas, when they lived in a pure environment, they were able to remain the nation of the Ish Tam. Now, why did they have, why did they leave their environment in Europe? Why did they have to come to America? It's because of the persecutions that were visited upon them by Esav. It was Esav who disrupted the Jewish communities, communities that had existed for hundreds of years, communities with set ways, who broke up the yeshiva in Slobodka, the Russians. The yeshiva had just finished building a beautiful building. It was a very poor yeshiva. It had taken them 15 years to gather together money to build the building. I was there at the Chanukah Sabayis. It was a big simcha. And then, not long after I left, the Russians marched in. And the communists took it away from the yeshiva. And they made it in, into some worker's place or something. Who ruined the yeshivas? Who ruined Judaism in Russia? The Goyim. Who ruined everything that we had built up so painstakingly, where all of our traditions were observed? Asaph. So now these Jews came to America, and there was no community, no organization. And there's a law in America that you must send your child to school, and to organize functional yeshivas, you need money. They weren't experienced. Nobody ever did it before. And so children went to public school, and that was the beginning of the whole ruination of American Jewry. In America itself, hundreds of thousands of families have disappeared. They moved out, settled among the Gentiles and went lost. Many intermarried, a tragedy of tragedies. Until the G'doylem came from Europe and founded from communities, American Jews were being eaten up, devoured by the ways of Esav. If you look on the streets today, so you see the Jewish American youth. Today, it's not only the youth, it's the old generation too. Many of them are getting ruined. Look in Bensonhurst, look in the Bronx, look in the suburbs. So many Jews are lost. Blocks and blocks of not even one Shabbos observer. Take a look at what happened in America. So many Protestants go to church on Sunday. So many Catholics are going to Mass. But on Shabbos, so few Jews go to shul. Now, are the Jews such a disloyal nation? No. There's no nation as loyal as we are. Jews wouldn't be mechal Shabbos and throw away their tefillin. We're not a wicked people. So who deserves the blame for this great desolation? The great ruination of a Jewish street that forsook the whole Torah. The blame has to be laid squarely on the back of Esau. It's the Goyim who are wicked. And it's only due to their effort, to the efforts of Esav, who would never let us alone, that so many Jews have become ruined. Esav is the one who broke up the communities. They physically smashed up our lives. They, they exiled us, driving us from town to town, from country to country. And in our new homes, we had to start building all over again from scratch. It was Esav who ruined the Jewish communal life in Krakow and Slobodka and forced us to rebuild from new and the truth is, what were Jews doing in Krakow and Slobodka anyhow? They didn't belong there. They had been in Spain. And in Spain, there were old organized communities with prestige. But Esav threw them out. Fernadad, and his wonderful wife Isabel, they threw them out. The persecution in Spain broke up the Jewish communal life. And further back, why were they in Spain? They should have been in Babel, where they had been for thousands of for a thousand years, a thousand year old community. Now that's a settled community. Everybody kept everything. So why didn't they remain there? A sav again. And what were they doing in Babel? They all should have been in Eretz Yisrael, and the base of Migdash organized under the Chachmei Atoyda, who were in charge. Every little detail of Jewish life was under the supervision of the Sanhedrin. You couldn't just do whatever you pleased. 
the Sanhedrin was in charge. And who abolished the Sanhedrin? You know who abolished the Sanhedrin. It was Gabinius, the Roman governor of Syria. He abolished it. And whose orders was he following? Antipater, the father of Hordus, who didn't want the Sanhedrin in his way. Antipater, where does he come from? He's an Adomi from, from Esau. And Rome is also Esau. So these two minions of Esau got together and they abolished the Sanhedrin. So who broke up the Am Yisrael's establishment system of Avoid Hashem? Who destroyed our communities of Kedusha? Who broke us down and drove us out among the dirty-minded Goyim? With their filthy ideas, their polluted minds that polluted us. Esau. And it's Esau who has to carry our sins upon his shoulders because he is the one to blame. Of course, Bechira still exists. No question about it. We have the free will to resist. But suppose someone comes and disturbs your good intentions. He is roid if you. And then he tempts you and pressures you. And now you yield. Is he innocent? You are to blame for not fighting back. But if he tempted you, so he's the guilty one here. He's the one who has to go over the cliff. That's what the Gemara in Mitzich Tabrochah says. It says there that the Knesset Yisrael, the Jewish nation, declares to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Ribono Shel Oilam, we want to do your will. By nature, the Am Hashem, the holy nation, desires to do the will of Hashem. But what prevents us? Something is hindering us. Take a look around on the street and you'll see that something is wrong. A great many Jews are very far from doing Hashem's will. And even the fruma, it's not so easy. We're not always doing the Ratzon Hashem. But we want to. Hashem, we want to do whatever you want. So what is it that prevents us? Asks the Gemara. And the answer given there is that one of the most pressing ikuvim is Shibud Malchius, the fact we are subject to whims of the nations. Now, Shibud Malchius means a lot of things. It's a shame, hakoyla, for a lot of what we suffer from the nations of the world. I mentioned already the Shibud of being moved from one place to another and the breakdown of our communities. And they didn't move us gently. No, they did it with crusades, pogroms, and inquisitions. They did it with yellow stars and crematoria. And just because of that, they will bear eternal responsibility for preventing us from doing the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. However, there's another Shibud that has wreaked even more havoc on the Am Yisrael than that. Because a few hundred years ago, into the world came a very great Sakana, the era of tolerance. Napoleon, others as well, broke down the walls that the church had erected and the breakdown of those barriers did as much damage to us as the forced destruction of our communities in the past. The Enlightenment, tolerance, freedom and equality has been of the, one of the worst of all tests in our history. Here in America, we are free. We have liberty. We have almost 100% freedom. And we have to thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for that. After all, America is a good country. We came from countries where we were persecuted. And this country gave us all the rights. I would say we should kiss the ground of America for all that it gave us. I was in Europe for some time. I went to study in the yeshiva in Slobodka. And when I came back, I saw even more than this was a blessed country. It's a gift from Hashem to us. Shouldn't we appreciate it? Of course, we pay taxes. Of course, we keep the laws. I even say that a Jew should hang out the flag on the 4th of July. I won't say you're a sinner if you don't, but I think it's a good thing to hang out the flag. It's not a contradiction to being a from Jew by any means. We hang out the flag from this shul on the 4th of July. Certainly, you should be loyal to your country. So you'll ask me, what's the problem then? Freedom, liberty, it's all good. What's the Shibud? And the answer is, that itself is the worst Shibud.
There's nothing worse than being free to follow the ways and attitudes of the Goyim. To a certain extent, we are slaves today. We're slaves to our environment. You're not really free if you live amongst Gentiles because the worst slavery of all is being enslaved to Gentile influence. More people went lost in the crematoria of tolerance than were destroyed in the Holocaust. The spiritual Holocaust has no equal. I remember in 1930 when you couldn't find a firm girl to marry. A firm girl was impossible to find. A firm boy was also a rarity. There was only one yeshiva in America. Outside, everyone was going lost. America was devouring the Jews. Nebuch, a loss, a terrible loss. The Shibud Malchius of being enslaved to the influence of the Goyim is our most dangerous enemy today. The whole sviva, the whole environment is trying to drown out our ideals. We're being inundated on all sides by apikorsis, taivas, shtus, avoy dezora. There's wickedness all around us and it's flooding our homes. Most of us are, are being affected. On all sides you see Gentiles and Gentile ideals. Money, clothing, sports, entertainment, movies, litsonus, atheism, atheism, evolution. In the winter seasons, you're inundated with season's greetings, signs of the holidays. Of course, it's all business. It's not genuine. It's all for money. But still, you can't help yourself from being drawn along. The atmosphere is avoid desoro and atheism and materialism on all sides. You pass by a yeshiva today, you see things going on. Tire boys, precious boys, and yet they're behaving like goyim. I don't want to say why and how, but they're tire boys, behaving like goyim. Their games are goyisha games, their sports are goyisha sports. The way they speak, what they speak about, it's words of Asaph. When you go to a bar mitzvah, you see that their dancing is goyisha dancing. It's all Gentile ways. Jews should have other ways of doing things. And instead, they're thinking in goyisha ways with goyisha thoughts. Baruch Hashem, we're happy with them. I'm happy with them. Ken yirbu. And ken yigdilu. I love them, Tire boys, a thousand times better than the best Goyim. And yet, they don't realize that they're being influenced by the outside world tremendously. And you will serve there in Gullah's strange gods, Devorim. Now, you won't actually bow down to avoid Dezorah there. But being among the Gentiles is like serving strange gods. You can't help yourself. The attitudes of Esav are being pounded into your head day and night, and you're bowing down to the Gentile ideas. Some of us less, some of us more, but everyone is being affected. It's the Rambam who says that. A person will always behave like the people of the country where he lives. It can't be helped. Even when Sadiqim from Europe came to America, you should know that as soon as they got off the boat, they had to fight against the environment. That's why I always say that a tzaddik, even the, big, the biggest tzaddik, when he comes to America, is already an Americaner. He's already spoiled. The Satmarov Zeich HaTzaddik Levrocha, as soon as he put his foot down on the soil of America, he had to fight back. All around him was the environment of Esav, and everyone in America was filling their minds with the American ideals. I'm telling you right now, it's affecting all of us. It's taking place this minute. If you're living here in America, then you're going to be an American. It's impossible for a person to avoid the influence of the country in which he lives. It enters your ears, it enters your eyes, and worst of all, it enters your mind. Don't fool yourself. It ha- it's happening in every part of your life. Just the fact that I'm speaking to you in English right now is a sign of our environment pressing down upon us. I remember many Jews in Europe who couldn't speak Lithuanian. They couldn't speak Polish. I saw many people who couldn't speak the language of the land. And it was a great barrier, a wall between the Am Yisrael and Esav. And they were proud of it. It's a fact. I remember the old generation. They were proud of the fact that they couldn't speak Goyish. The fact that I speak English here, you should know, is done against my will. 
I would never speak English in public. Only because this is a Syrian place. They don't speak Yiddish here. And I can't speak Syrian. So I have to speak English. In my shul, I speak in English too. But that's business. It's Parnassah. So it can't be, I can't help myself. What do you do for business? Is, what you do for business is something else. But if I'm invited out to speak, it's only Yiddish. It's a principle of mine. In the house also, I speak only Yiddish to my children since they were born. They answer me in English, what could I do? But I speak Yiddish, it's a principle. Now they must learn English in the schools. I'm not saying English is a bad thing to learn. But the problem is that you have to learn for the regions. So they tell you to read books, novels, and you have to learn evolution to apikursus. He has, he has to be taught in the yeshivas, in the base yankovs. Of course, the teachers say, we don't believe in it. But when they ask you the question on the examination, you have to say this and this. You have to write this and this apikursus. And once you can read English, you have the opportunity to read all the filth, all the filth of the Umas Ha'olim. We need to know that this Shibud Machlius is hollowing out our nation. And now we can begin to understand the words of Moshe Rabbeinu when he spoke to the Bnei Yisrael just before they entered the land of Eretz Yisrael. You're coming now into Eretz Yisrael and you're going to settle into your, into your own land, he said. But I must warn you. And he said as follows. You know very well that you once lived in Mitzrayim and you saw their abominations. You saw their ways, the wicked things that they did. So the question is, what about it? They're already 40 years away from Mitzrayim. And now they're going to their own land, into Eretz Yisrael. Who cares what, what they once saw? No, because once you see something, even if you saw it 40 years ago, it's already in your mind. It's called mental assimilation. It's not only physical assimilation. You have to worry about that you're mixing among the Goyim, but it's your mind that you have to be worried about. Your head is becoming assimilated. You could have us down to your belt. What does it help if they're growing out of a Gentile mind? There might be a poison root growing in your mind. What you see, what you hear could bear poison fruit in your mind. The seeds are planted, all types of seeds. And now you have a Gentile jungle growing in your head. That's a remarkable thing. We wouldn't say such a thing. It's 40 years already since they left Eretz Mitzrayim. And they've been all together in the wilderness. They encamped in the Midbar. The encampment in the Midbar was like a koilal under Moshe Rabbeinu. Under Moshe Rabbeinu's personal supervision. There was no mingling in the Midbar. And now they're going straight into Eretz Yisrael. So what's the problem? No, said Moshe Rabbeinu. It's a big problem. Once you saw with your eyes the Gentile culture, their attitudes and ways, so the picture of those abominations remain in your mind. And that picture is a sakana. It could very well be a root of poison and it'll grow in your mind. And who knows what dangerous fruit it might bear in the future. We think it's too much, too extreme that Moshe Rabbeinu was making a big deal out of nothing but that's only because we are already assimilated with Gentile ideas. They're already part of our lives, so we think it's normal. But if you listen to Moshe Rabbeinu's words, you'll see how careful you must be. It's remarkable how much you have to be afraid. Once you saw the Gentile ways, they're going to persist in your mind, even though you didn't follow those ways. And even though a long time has transpired since you saw it, the fact that you once saw it already presents a peril, what may come of it in the future. And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu warned them again and again, you might have poison in your head. And so we begin to see that in addition to the danger of being persecuted by the, by the Gentiles, there is the bigger danger of having your minds follow the attitudes and the ways of the Gentiles, even if it's from a distance. If you live in Long Island, in Westchester, and we're in West Orange, so of course you have to beware. But even in Borough Park, and Williamsburg, and Lakewood, you're in grave danger. 
It's a very important part you're hearing now. It's a very important point you're hearing now. We're expected to fight back against the great influence of Esav that fills the world. And the Sa'il Azazel is the one korban that is made to emphasize, to underscore this point. We're being told, you know what the remedy to all this is? Take Esav as a korban, but don't offer him on the Mizbeach. Esav has no place in the Mikdash. Instead, you take him far away. Lead him away from Yerushalayim as far as possible and throw him off of a mountain. Get rid of him so that you shouldn't be tempted again. And when you see him tumbling down the steep mountain, smashing into pieces, that's the atonement for your wicked ways. If we, if we wish to be rid of our sins, if we wish to achieve a kapara for the wrong things we did, so one of the most important things that we have to do is to get rid of Esav. Now that doesn't mean that you should go out to the street and get rid of Goyim. We're not going to take Goyim and throw them off the roof. Leave them alone. That's not our business here. Don't fight with the Goyim. You have to fight with the Goy inside you. That's the toughest Goy there is. And get rid of him. Once you find him and take hold of him, you'll find that he's a tenant that refuses to move. And the truth is that you love that tenant. You'll be surprised how much you love that goy inside of you. You refuse to part with him. It's like a landlord who's complaining about his tenant and he calls the marshal to dispose of the tenant. But then when the marshal comes, the landlord starts hemming and hawing. No, I can't let him go. I want him. We want that tenant in us. That's the real problem here. The goy inside of our heads, not the goy on the street. We have nothing against the goyim, no resentment against them. As long as they're decent, they're our fellow citizens. We don't hate them. Why should we? Of course, the criminals we hate and the liberals who are destroying America, I'm not too fond of them either. But decent goyim, we have nothing against them. Good Gentiles are a brocha for the world. I can mention a number of good Gentiles. Sometimes there's a good goy who comes along and he says good things that you should listen to. To vote in a certain way, he gives aids for safety, ideas how to fight against evolution, all good things. But even good goyim, as much as possible, have nothing to do with them because they have different ways. I once saw a goy who was fighting very hard against evolution. He wrote books against it. He was defending Breishis. He looked like a big tzaddik and I appreciated what he was doing. But then I saw that in one of his books he made a joke about Yaakov Avinu. I won't repeat the joke, but it was a shame. And I learned that a goy is fort a goy. He is, and here he's fighting for Masse Breishis, fighting for Amuna. And he makes a joke about Yaakov Avinu. And so it never pays to be close to a goy. It doesn't pay at all. He's like a person who has a very heavy cold and he's sneezing and coughing. You don't want to catch his contagious ideas. That's how the goy on the street becomes, the goy inside your head. If you have to do business, so you're nice and polite. You have derech eretz and you're mikadesh l'shem shamay. You show that you're decent and you make a good impression. But don't be interested in him at all. Be friendly to him, but don't become friends. Hello, you say. Good morning, Joe. Have a nice day, Fred. You're doing great work. Be nice to him. Congratulate him. Whatever it is, but watch out. Don't associate with him. Don't have any private connection with him at all. The further away we are from the good Gentiles too, the better off we are. Now the Torah, the Torah tells us a general principle. Do not bring any abomination into your house. Of course, the plain meaning is that you don't bring an idol into your house, even if you're just holding it as a memento, as a souvenir. But the lesson here is that nothing abominable, nothing of Esav should be brought into your house. And the Torah says why? Because you're going to make your house abominable. What you bring into your house changes the nature of your house. 
You could have a beautiful home and you bring in something from Esav. And now it's all ruined. It's like a good piece of meat, a piece of steak, but it fell into the toilet. It's nothing now. And therefore, as much as possible, you should keep the goy outside of, out of your home, out of your thoughts. And that's a very big job today because the Gentile attitudes are permeating our lives. The air is tummy and it's creeping under the door. I'm sorry to say that in many homes, the goyim are not creeping in. The door is wide open and we invite them to walk right in. Of course, you shouldn't have any TV, chas v'sholom. You shouldn't bring the abomination of television into your home. Don't allow Esav into your house because his big mouth opens up and he pours out all of his letzonas into your dining room. Surely you wouldn't take the sewer main with all the filth from people's toilets and let it empty into your dining room. If you have a wire bringing Esav into your house, you can forget about it altogether. Because ain lo chelik la'alam habo. No question about it. And this man brings them into his home every night. He sits and looks at their shows and their movies. Surely he can forget about Oilam Haba. No question about it at all. And spread the word, by the way. It's impossible to have a Jewish home with the television in it. There are no two ways about it. Either you have a miktash or you have a television. It can't be both. And if Khalila, you're still living with Esav in your home, so you should take that TV and you throw it off a cliff. You don't live near a mountain, so throw it out your window. And if you live in a basement or on the first floor, so lug it up to the roof and make sure that no one is walking on the sidewalk below. If the coast is clear, you throw it over and watch it become Evorim, Evorim. It becomes smashed to pieces. Or you can take a hammer and smash it. Smash out the inside and use the box as a shelf for support him. Your wife won't let, so you give her some money to go shopping. And when she's out spending your money, you throw it out the window. It's worth all the money in the world to get that to'eva out of your home. Included in the abominations that we send out on the back of the Sa'il Azazel and throw over the cliff is the reading materials of the Goyim, magazines, novels, even children's books. In the public library, there is no end to dirty books. Today, that's why they offer the children, and that's what they offer the children in the libraries. The library books are full of tuma. Once upon a time, the libraries had good books. I know. They didn't let any immoral books into the library. They weren't always too wise. But they were good books. They taught you how to work hard and make a living. How you can get rich with good character. That was the old time books in the library. But today, it's terrible what's available there. Terrible. But as much as we have to throw Esav's books and magazines out of the Jewish home, just as important, just as, just as important it is to throw the attitudes of Esav out of our mind. We're expected to throw over the cliff all of the ideals of the Umas Ha'olam. We laugh at what they think is important. Sports is false. Entertainment is false. Literature is false. The literature of the Gentiles is Shekhar V'chazav. It never happened. What can I tell you already? American Jews are accustomed to fiction, to novels, drama, plays, and movies. People write stories from their own imagination or people are being paid to act in a certain way and you sit there reading, watching as if it was something important. Don't tell me you just read it or watch it because it, but it has no effect. It has an effect. It leaves over a bad smell. You can't have a nice home that smells like Tzoa. It doesn't work. It smells up your house. Now some people are so accustomed to that bad smell of Esav so that they think it's natural. If you have to have a book by Esav, I'm not giving you a heter, but if for whatever reason you have something from Esav in your home, so make sure to keep it in the bathroom where the smell won't bother you. The bathroom, that's the Goyesha library. Otherwise, 
it will be metame, the atmosphere of the whole house. As much as possible, try to isolate the ideas of Asa from your house. Even mannerisms and habits we should distance ourselves from. Even those which have been made kosher already. Kosher Chinese food. What does it mean, kosher Chinese food? It's like kosher ham. There shouldn't be a remez of Asaf in your life. Forget about Thanksgiving. Forget about anything that smells of Gentiles in your house. Forget about Manhattan. Forget about the Yankees. Forget about the... Baseball is nothing. The pitcher throws the ball and the man at the base gives a whack with a stick and everybody goes crazy. Woo! They're shouting. They stamp their feet. And he's running. And you are ignited. Your blood becomes ignited by the excitement. Which means you are participating in the Havle HaGoyim. The emptiness of the Gentiles. To be excited over nothing means that you're becoming a nothing. And it's the influence of Esav that is making us into nothings. They're coughing germs all the time. Poisonous things. And we're getting sick. Any wickedness, any wickedness you see among the Jews is only because they're imitating the Gentiles. Who invented baseball? Did the Roshi Yeshiva sit down and Asifa of Talmidei Chachamim sitting covered Rosh and come up with such a foolish thing? Why are there so many divorces among Jews today? Jews don't divorce. It's not the nature of Jews to divorce. Only that they're learning from the Gentiles to divorce. Many other wicked things too. We're learning from the Gentiles. All entertainment is from the Gentiles. There's no Jewish entertainment. Of course, today already there is. But it's all from Asaf. It's all imitations of the Umas Ha'olam. And so this very important offering, although it's not a korban on the Mizbeach, but it's Bechaper more than all the korbanas, throwing the influence of Asaf off of a mountain and smashing him to pieces. That's our kapara. Getting rid of the influence of Esav as much as possible. That's the true path of Teshuvah. Because our faults, our sins, our indiscretions, they're all imitations of the Umas Ha'olam. Esav and the Goyim are to blame for our lapses and our dereliction of duty to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And therefore, Esav, the Sa'ir carries away our sins to a desolate land. And so, the Derech HaTorah is to fight back against the outside influence as much as possible. Of course, the hotheads, they like to hear that. They want to go out and make trouble and fight. But that's not what we're saying here. There's room for that too, for standing up against the abominations of the Umas Ha'olam. I write letters all the time to the mayor, to others, protesting against how they're ruining America. But that's not what we're saying here. The most important way to free ourselves from the Shibud Malchius of living among the Gentiles is by shaking ourselves loose from the shackles of Esav's ideas that fill our mind. And by means of that, the Knesset Yisrael comes back to what we told HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We want to do your will. In Mesechta Avos we learn Make the will of Hashem your will. Now there are numbers of perushim, all true, all right. But right now, we'll learn the perush that we need for our subject of today. For how to rid our lives, our minds of Esav's influence. Make his will your will means this. Make Hashem's will your will. In your mind, what he wills, what he wishes, that should be your wish. What HaKadosh Baruch Hu considers important, that's what you should consider important. What HaKadosh Baruch Hu admires, that's what you should admire. For instance, HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves the Am Yisrael. He's Ohev Amo Yisrael. He loves the Jewish people. It says that openly again and again. It's stated that he loves the Am Yisrael more than anything else. So you should train yourself. You should work on thinking the same way as him. You should also love the Am Yisrael because a patriot for the Am Yisrael, become a patriot for the Am Yisrael. Love the Am Yisrael. You're making his will like your will. HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves places of Torah. Hashem loves the Sha'arim. 
Hamitsuyanim Bihalacha. So you pass by a yeshiva where people are learning. Practice loving that place. You're not going in, you're on your way to work, or you're just passing by on the way to shopping. Love that place. Even though you have no money to give them, love them anyhow. Have a feeling. It's a beautiful place. An excellent place, that yeshiva. I love the people inside that shul. All those who are learning Torah and davening to the Boide. Because Hashem loves yeshivas. So I love the yeshivas too. Say it. It's fine. Nobody will hear you. Say, I love this yeshiva. I love the people in the yeshiva. Now once you're doing that, little by little you're beginning to think the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu thinks. Like it says, they should choose what I choose. And even if you're not doing anything about it, but in your mind you're emulating the thoughts of Hashem. You can walk down the street in Flatbush and you're thinking, I'd like to build yeshivas all over the world. I don't have any money, but that's what Hashem wants. So I want to. I'd like to have the base of Migdash and bring Korbanos again. Work on creating that desire in your mind. At first, you don't mean it. You don't desire the Beis HaMikdash. You desire maybe to eat in the restaurants of Esav or to put on the radio to hear Esav speaking. You desire to sit in a stadium with thousands of Esavs, watching Esavs hit the ball with a stick. Or maybe you're more sophisticated than that. So you want to go see Esav at the theater. A lot of things you desire, but not the Beis HaMikdash. Not to build yeshivas. But if you put effort in, if you begin to think along with Hashem, and you say the words, so little by little you begin to shape your thoughts to the thoughts of Hashem. So you walk down Ocean Avenue and you say, And you say it with a desire, a cheshek. Instead of looking around at the goyim, at their cars and their billboards, and their advertisements in the store windows, inviting you to come in and waste your money on things that one day you'll have to send off on the back of the Sa'il Azazel anyhow. Instead of all that, you're filling your mind with Torah ideals, the attitudes of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Train yourself to think how Hashem thinks. You're training your mind that, he, that, he, that His will should become your will. Your will to love all the ideas, you begin to love all the ideals of the Torah because Hashem loves them. You can train yourself to do that little by little. Make that your goal. That whatever Hashem considers right, in your mind it also should be right. And what Hashem doesn't like, I also don't like. And little by little, you become transformed. When a person, as much as possible, learns to learn to think like Hashem thinks. That is the very great antidote against mental assimilation. Otherwise, your mind is blank. It's empty. And the outside world comes into your mind and you begin thinking like the world thinks. I'm telling you now that your mind won't remain a vacuum. It's impossible. Something has to come into it into an empty mind. So either your mind is filled with the ideals of the Torah, or it's, or it's filled with, the, with all the foolish and empty ideals of the world. Don't think you can avoid it. You can't avoid thinking. And so you'll think about your environment, what you hear, what you see. It all floods into the empty mind. And therefore, only, the only way to, enter, to counteract mental assimilation is by filling your mind with Torah ideals. Otherwise, it's the outside world the ideals of Esav that fill your mind. The lesson of the Sa'il Azazel is the lesson of what our great test in this world is to fight back against the influence of the Umas Ha'olam. The nations of the world are no accident of history. HaKadosh Baruch Hu put them in this world for our benefit, to give us the opportunity to fight back by living a life filling our minds with his attitudes instead of the attitudes of the street. There's a plan in history. And the plan is that this world should be a world of accomplishment. 
we are alive for a purpose. We're not here merely to have a good time, to make a good living, to have a nice home, to have friendly people around us. We'll say good morning and they'll like us and we'll like them. Life will be all friendly and good and you'll live a long, happy life and accomplish nothing. Noah Kadosh Baruch put us in this world to test us. No, HaKadosh Baruch put us in this world to test us. And one of the most important tests is how far away, how separate you can keep from the Umas HaOilam. To what extent will you be able to resist the influence of the atmosphere of the Goyim around us? It's a very important part of our existence to be tested and to overcome the test, to fight back and to not allow ourselves to be influenced and thereby achieve the great perfection or which of which we were created. It's not enough that you are from Jew with a black hat and a beard. It's not enough that you're a good base Yaakov girl. You have to be, you have to be a from Jew inside too, which means that your mind has to be a Jewish mind. And by means of this act of saying good riddance to Esav, the goat, by pushing him off a cliff and watching him smash to pieces, we symbolize the necessity to rid the Am Yisrael of all Gentile influences entirely. And that's why it is the most powerful of all kaparos. It was an, 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 it was an atonement that was unparalleled anywhere else in the Torah. The goat carries away all their sins because it is the influence of the Umas HaOilam that has stifled our Ratzon to do the will of Hashem. And therefore... All year long, not only on Yom Kippur, we take this Sa'id and we hurl him off the mountains and he carries away our sins. When you smash the influence of Esau, when you get rid of the Hashpa of Esau, that's the Kapara, that's the way to take away your sins. Because a very big part of our sins is on the head of the Gentiles. Most of our sins are their sins. And it's only when a person takes Esau far away from the Jewish camp, far away from Yerushalayim, and throws him off the cliff, he gets rid of the influences of Esau, that he is prepared now to achieve the greatness that Hashem brought him into the world to accomplish. Hashem, what we want in this world is to do your will. Have a wonderful Shabbos.